And cross myself. My hand decided that the time was nigh, and for a moment it slipped from view. Oh, when it returned, it fell, it burned with confidence in you. So handsome It was the light It was the anger Upon the bar, I bear no grudge against you, and my felt long and hard. I am the man for which no God waits, but for which the whole world yearns. And I'm mugged by darkness and by blood and by a thousand powder burns. Fish with the swollen lips that clean the ocean floors. When I looked at poor old O'Malley's wife, well, that's exactly what I saw. Well, I jammed the barrel under her chin, and her face looked raw and vicious. Her head, it landed in the sink with all the dirty dishes. And her daughter, Siobhan, I pulled bears from dust till dawn. Amongst the town folks, she was a bit of a joke, but she pulled the best beer in town. 
magnificent upon her She sat shivering in her grief Like the Madonna painted on the church house wall Well, I hate to interrupt a good murder ballad, but I must. And I'm very happy that I got my, I got the request squeezed in there that I could. Except for uh, uh, fellow music director Aaron AA, I couldn't get your silkworm in there. But uh, I made someone happy with uh, Nick Cave and getting O'Malley's Bar in there. Love that one. Um, Sorry I won't be able to hear all of it because we do have Grey Matters on the way. Uh, Gray does matter. Before that, we had Jerry Lee Lewis with Drinkin' Wine, Spodiote from Milestones, Reverend Horton Heat with Liquor, Beer, and Wine from the album Liquor in the Front, Mojo Nixon with the Toad Liquors, oh, no, no, Mojo Nixon and the Toad Liquors with Jello Biafra. That was Are You Drinking With Me, Jesus? Hope you enjoyed that, Carrie. Uh, Beck with Beer Can from Mellow Gold. A friend of mine used to say, hey, what's a word that sounds like you're saying either... No, never mind, I'm not gonna... I already forgot what it was. But if you say beer can, it sort of sounds like a bacon uh, with a sort of slightly Jamaican thing going on. Beer can. Anyway, uh, we had George Jones with Willie Nelson with I Gotta Get Drunk from my very special guests. Champagne Charlie from Anacreontics, The Golden Age of Song. And also a very long title. Authentic English music and drinking songs for clubs, societies, wine cellars, licensed taverns, music halls, and pleasure gardens. We don't have enough pleasure gardens in 2010, if you ask me. The Doors with Alabama Song from Whiskey Bar, or uh, from The Doors. Um, Screamin' Jay Hawkins with Alligator Wine. And, because I couldn't find... The originators. Uh, we went with the Ventures version of Tequila. I hope you don't mind. Okay, you don't. So this was St. James saying thanks for listening to TBA. Stay tuned for Gray Matters. And uh, just keep it right here on 88.3 WCBNFM Ann Arbor. It's a scorching hot day. Imagine being trapped in a parked car. The temperature inside is rising. Now imagine that you're wearing a fur coat. Leaving your dog in a hot car is not only uncomfortable, it's dangerous. If it's too hot for you, it's far worse for him because unlike us, he can't perspire to cool down and within minutes, the temperature, even with the windows down a little, can exceed 100 degrees. So on warm days, please be kind. Leave your dog safely at home. For more information, contact PETA, 757-622-PETA. Well, that's a perfect public service announcement to uh, introduce another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And we're sort of winging it tonight uh, down here at the stations of WCBN. My partner Jim Dwyer is uh, not feeling well, so he'll uh, be back with us next week. Maybe a little bit too much heat. Did him in. It's been a kind of a rough week, you know. I, I uh, heard recently that uh, the former Red Wing Bob Probert Died of a heart attack just a couple of weeks ago while uh, boating somewhere in the Detroit uh, vicinity, and it was one of the it was the start of the heat wave. So uh, in a week where 
we seem to be uh, maybe talking more about the heat than ever. It might be appropriate uh, to actually talk a little about uh, a little bit about some of the recent uh, uh, controversies surrounding global warming. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a a panel that finally uh, ruled on the issue of uh, the climate research that was done at uh, the University of East Anglia in southeast uh, England. You may recall this brouhaha uh, erupted several months ago um, and was used, uh, unfortunately, by the debunkers of, of climate change. So we do a little limbo there. <laughs> involving St. James and myself doing the limbo down in the Student Activities Building here at the uh, University of Michigan. But anyway, this, uh, this uh, uh, panel finally uh, concluded that there was no uh, research fraud, but this uh, email brouhaha that uh, developed over uh, the past year um, indicates, of course, that uh, there was no fraud. And it's interesting that even the Associated Press back in December of uh, this past year, specifically uh, December 13th, um, Associated Press by uh, Seth Bornstein, Raphael Satter, and Malcolm Ritter, reported that emails stolen from climate scientists show that they stonewalled skeptics and discussed hidden data, but the messages don't support claims that the science of global warming was faked, according to an exhaustive review by the Associated Press. The 1,073 emails examined by the AP show that the scientists harbored private doubts, uh, however slight and fleeting, even as they told the world that they were certain about climate change. And, of course, this brouhaha developed because there was the word and the phrase, a trick, which, of course, referred to some manipulation, theoretically, of scientific data. But uh, this never uh, actually really occurred. It was the unfortunate word, trick. And I heard late today on uh, National Public Radio that a prominent um, climate change scientist died uh, today of a heart attack uh, while on way to, uh, ironically, a conference about the subject. His name was, uh, I believe, Stephen Schneider, uh, and we'll find out more about him tomorrow. But what's interesting about this scientist was he was a scientist many, many decades ago that got involved in the so-called global cooling debate. And his argument, uh, just to summarize it sort of uh, scientifically uh, in brief terms, was that particulate matter caused by smog and uh, soot and power plants and that sort of thing was actually preventing um, sunlight getting down to the earth, and this was actually causing global cooling. Uh, this is an interesting uh, theory back then because uh, I'll speculate and I'll throw out my uh, two cents worth uh, regarding this theory because... Uh, Data conclusively shows that the 60s and 70s here in the United States were actually two of the cooler decades of the 20th century. Now, uh, if you're old enough or uh, do not recall, back in the 60s and 70s, America uh, got around in their automobiles with a product called leaded gas. And leaded gas, of course, contained lead. 
lead, needless to say, is part of the periodic chart and is a particulate. And because of the smog conditions, for instance, in a prominent media center like Los Angeles, there used to be uh, very visible clouds of smog uh, over uh, uh, Los Angeles that were visible uh, from 30, 40 miles away. This smog actually may have, for a temporary uh, number of decades, created a little bit of global cooling. And indeed, it's interesting to note that uh, uh, Great Britain um, had uh, some enormous problems with some cold winters in the late 40s as a result of the resumption of uh, World War II had ended and people were probably heating their houses a little uh, more uh, rigorously than they had in the past. And, of course, in uh, England they used a lot of coal. So Great Britain and London, 20% of the people that live in England live in London, and, of course, there was uh, interesting um, problems with soot. And, of course, the smog as a term basically was a, uh, a, a hybrid word of fog and soot, hence smog. And that's how the word actually developed, if you go back and check the, uh, the history of it. Well, uh, needless to say, this uh, brouhaha, and we, we've seen over the past week that it's been unusually hot here in the United States. Uh, it's perhaps appropriate that uh, the state of Oklahoma has been sweltering in 100-degree heat. In fact, uh, it was even 100 degrees for several days in the city of Denver, a very unusual development. And needless to say, the heat's going to hang around probably here uh, uh, here in Ann Arbor to some extent. Today's not too bad, but uh, Art Fair, the week of Art Fair, is traditionally about the hottest day, uh, hottest week of the summer, the third week of July. Uh, that, of course, makes sense uh, based on um, what we know about uh, the sun and how it moves and how it takes a while, for instance, for the water to heat up uh, the bodies of water when you go swimming here in the state of Michigan. Uh, going in uh, Lake Michigan in uh, early June can sometimes be a little bit challenging. But as uh, the sun and the heat uh, continue to... Uh, radiate down from space we get more and more uh, warming and the water gets a little more temperate and then it uh, feels doggone good to go in and if you've ever been in the up the upper peninsula you know that it's very difficult to go in the water uh, even in late july sometimes you have to wait till august to go into that water it's so doggone cold you can go in but whew, you'll turn uh, blue uh, in a matter of time and this of course is why a lot of people die when they fall in, in water, it's not uh, actually drowning that kills them. It's uh, exposure to the uh, hypothermia is what ultimately uh, does you in. Well, uh, while we uh, contemplate more about the life and times of Steve uh, Schneider, uh, perhaps in next week's show, I just wanted to point out that uh, in the midst of all of this brouhaha about the research at the University of East Anglica, uh, NASA reported uh, earlier this year on the 22nd of, uh, of uh, January, uh, this is courtesy of John Broder, the decade ending in 2009 was the warmest on record. New surface uh, temperatures released uh, Thursday indicate by NASA, which of course is the uh, National Aeronautics and Space Administration. The agency found that 2009 was the second warmest year 
since 1880, uh, when modern temperature measurements began. The warmest year was 2005. The other hottest uh, recorded years have all occurred since 1998. Those are the scientists. Those are the people that know. Um, the people that don't know are the people that are trying to create uh, controversies and distractions uh, with this political debate uh, that continues here in the United States. I mentioned 100 degrees in the state of Oklahoma because there's basically been kind of a holding pattern that's kept pretty much the entire two-thirds of the United, southern uh, two-thirds of the United States, unusually hot and humid. Basically, the heat that comes up from uh, Mexico and the Gulf of Mexico, which, of course, has been in the news uh, thanks to uh, the moderate success of the, of the temporary plug uh, down there with uh, the Deepwater Horizon event that uh, continues to beleaguer the Gulf. We have to look at that news as good news, but not uh, decisive that the that the uh, problems are all over. And it sounds like we won't really know still for, for more days as the uh, conditions on the ground, or in this case, under the water, uh, continue to be monitored. I mentioned Oklahoma because, of course, the senator from Oklahoma, James Inhofe, has repeatedly declared uh, climate change or global warming to be a hoax. Well, he is a hoax. And the ironic thing is if the Republicans should take control of the uh, U.S. Senate, he will be back in charge of the Environmental and Science Senate Committee, which is uh, very frightening indeed. He is a global warming denier, debunker. So uh, there you have it. That's the science. Um, and I don't think we need to really read too much about the uh, actual uh, report itself that, that the panel found regarding uh, the uh, basically the conclusion that there was no uh, manipulation of data, just uh, poor, uh, poor wording. Uh, there may indeed need to be more of an investigation into how the emails were quote-unquote stolen and exploited for political purposes by opponents of global warming. And I always emphasize, by the way, that I prefer the term climate change. Uh, global warming, of course, asserts that everything is getting warmer everywhere, and this, of course, is not the case. But uh, I recently saw a rather startling photograph of a, a glacier uh, that surrounds uh, La Paz, Bolivia, and how this thing is disappearing, and how the uh, folks that live in a neighboring city, basically where the poor people of Bolivia live, are uh, literally running out of water because the glacier is melting. And the, the water, uh, glaciers, of course, um, store water, uh, and when they uh, cease to exist in some areas, uh, people will have to evacuate. also heard another very interesting scientist report about the uh, consequences of some of this uh, extreme heat that's occurring in the uh, plains areas of the United States. The, the grain belt, so to speak, uh, wheat is a crucial 
uh, grain for all sorts of reasons. Uh, wheat is probably the most important grain globally uh, because of its uh, relevance in bread. Uh, pasta. Without wheat, you have neither. And uh, we get a lot of wheat from Kansas and Nebraska and this part of the world. Corn, of course, is another significant grain, but uh, the second most uh, important grain is obviously rice, uh, because many people in the uh, world rely on rice uh, for their uh, staple in their diet. Wanted to read an article from Paul Cotta uh, in as I sort of conclude this uh, discussion about uh, climate change. This is a letter uh, to the editor that appeared uh, back when this uh, East Anglica um, story was uh, rearing its ugly head back in uh, December of last year. And it was interesting how about 10% of the public changed their position on climate change after um, Philadelphia, Washington, New York, that area of the country. The mid-Atlantic states got hit very heavily with a couple of snowstorms this past winter. It was interesting how data showed uh, almost a 10 to 15 point change in public opinion here in the United States, which I've always argued is somewhat mercurial and uh, prone to uh, media hyperbole, who suddenly believed that there was no climate change, even though all of the scientific evidence shows things are getting warmer. Paul Cotta, uh, writing from Livermore, California, and I mention that because it's likely that he may be a scientist there at the... Uh, infamous Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, um, which I think ironically is where the Secretary of Energy, Stephen Chu, uh, sort of got his uh, feet wet. And he, of course, is one of the major government officials dealing with the BP uh, leak, or as we like to call it down here on Gray Matters, bung plug, <laughs> BP, uh, c continually in the news, unfortunately. In any case, Paul Cotta wrote uh, to the New York Times back in uh, December of, uh, this, this letter was dated December 14th. So climate change deniers, let me get this straight. The same scientific community that has made this country prosperous and strong with innovations like microcircuitry and telecommunications that power your blogs, <laughs> which is uh, funny, uh, the aeronautical advancements, advancements that whisk you to Tea Party rallies and the medical technologies that prolong your life, assuming that your insurance, insurer covers the procedure, is now scheming to perpetuate an enormous hoax to ruin the American economy. Such a broad-based, coordinated deception would be unprecedented in science's history. but is quite common outside science. A perfect example is the propaganda machine that has convinced you that in this one case, science is plotting against us while the oil, coal, and other polluting industries have the nation's long-term interests at heart. Over the years, various industries have launched coordinated propaganda efforts to deny now-accepted facts like cancer-causing effects of tobacco or that seatbelts save lives. In fact, scientific findings linking any commercial product to an injurious effect 
or imposing costs on business have almost always met with a wall been met with a wall of rejection by the industry affected if this time industry is truly fighting for our best interests by denying the role of pollution and climate change and if science truly is defrauding the public on such a grand scale then each would be a shocking development in the histories of industry and science and of course Paul Cotta uh, I'm assuming is a scientist and uh, that letter uh, was laced with the appropriate sarcasm uh, regarding the controversy at the time. This, of course, was part of the, oh, the coordinated effort uh, by the right-wing um, mainstream media in the United States to question uh, Obama's efforts to uh, fashion a, a, a carbon tax, a, a energy policy. And if Obama had one great downfall this year, it was the fact that in an effort to quote-unquote compromise on the legislation, he publicly announced on April 1st in a speech that he would be in favor of more offshore oil drilling. This proved to be his undoing because, as we now know, <laughs> just three weeks later, um, this catastrophe in the Gulf developed, and uh, Obama and the government, of course, are not responsible for this. Uh, they certainly bear responsibilities regarding the regulations that were overlooked throughout the 1980s, the 1990s, and the era of deregulation that uh, bears some responsibility in this uh, tragedy. And I agree with the moratorium on deep water oil drilling. I think that the key distinction that people need to uh, understand here is that when the Obama administration proposed these uh, this moratorium, they were only talking about 33 oil rigs that were then about to be drilled. I think we need to look uh, seriously at some big issues involving oil drilling in the Gulf of Mexico. Let's remember that there was a major earthquake in Haiti, uh, in the Caribbean region. Perhaps some of the earth has shifted. Perhaps all of the oil rigs, because I think we've now, it's now been revealed that there are 44,000 oil rigs uh, from the beginning of time that have been drilled in that area of the Gulf of Mexico. This could have a serious impact on the actual structure of the Earth's mantle. Because one of the fascinating things to learn about this Deepwater Horizon uh, catastrophe is the fact that they're using robots and very sophisticated technology and, and equipment to plug this leak. And we're talking about 5,000 feet down to the surface, and then this well goes down below that two to three miles. This is sort of staggering um, geological science that we're, we're talking about here. And when the globe is going farther and farther out, the oil industry, I should say, is going farther and farther out uh, to uh, obtain these uh, petroleum resources, we have to begin to wonder about um, maybe uh, maybe the, the stability of this region uh, has been affected because they keep talking here about seepage. Seepage is now the new uh, concern regarding this uh, temporary plug. Uh, in this uh, technological procedure that they've just uh, 
quote-unquote succeeded on. Uh, I uh, am hopeful that uh, the plug has been uh, successfully plugged, the bung has worked down there in the deep water horizon, and that the relief well can uh, finally uh, succeed to the extent that we don't have further spewing of oil uh, into the uh, Gulf of Mexico, because obviously the environmental consequences of this are uh, catastrophic and remain uh, unknown, and it will certainly take decades for the United States to uh, determine the exact uh, damage and consequences of this oil spill. It's fascinating, by the way, uh, to compare the $20 billion uh, that BP has committed to a sort of escrow account to uh, deal with uh, environmental and uh, economic damage caused by the United States. Because I once again I emphasize that when the, the Bhopal a chemical disaster occurred in India back in uh, 1984 when Ronald Reagan was president, I don't remember the uh, media holding Ronald Reagan to accountable for that disaster. Why not? I mean, you know, it shows that there are double standards, it, it seems. But it's interesting that at the time, India, uh, a very poor country uh, still, although uh, rising to some extent uh, economically as well as technological, sought at the time $3.3 billion, uh, billion in damages from uh, Union Carbide, but in 1989, settled for less than half a billion dollars. The government improved uh, compensation of about $22,000 for the families of people killed by the leak and about $4,000 for those diagnosed with cancer or total renal failure linked to the toxic gas. It's estimated, by the way, in the Bhopal disaster, 13,000 people died. <laughs> okay, and we're talking about a quarter of a million people who were affected by the direct environmental consequences of this disaster. Union Carbide, of course, used its legal teams to uh, claim that sabotage had been uh, involved and that they weren't engaged in any sort of corporate crime or negligence, even though they were making a product uh, in India that was banned here in the United States. Um, we have regulations for a reason, and of course the poison gas that was involved was basically connected to cyanide, and uh, when this escaped the plant in Bhopal, 13,000 people died. Uh, it's fascinating that in the most recent Harper's Index, uh, they lead off their index with this staggering um, <laughs> number. The estimated cost of environmental damage caused each year by the world's 3,000 largest companies, $2.2 trillion. Portion of the company's total profits, this represents one-third. That's amazing. Um, but that's what's going on in the world. And, of course, there are people who are uh, protesting the, the incredibly uh, 